in the suburbs of Gotham City is the home of Bruce Wayne. Only the faithful Alfred knows what lies beneath the house. Those relentless crusaders for law and order, Batman, and Robin. Welcome to the latest installment of the Dork Knights, the podcast that the internet deserves, but not the one it needs. As usual, I am your host, MB, and joining me, my man without fear, my amazing, fantastic, uncanny, bogus Birdman. I liked all that. Anything anything praising you, you like. One uh, spectacular, though. You mentioned every other uh, Marvel um, adjective. But well, I also didn't say astonishing. Oh, you didn't, did you? You son of a bitch. Yeah, you're not astonishing. Like, you gotta draw the line of it somewhere. That's true. I'll give you that. But, today, we have a very special... Well, I wouldn't say special, because we've done it, like... Was this the third? Twice already. This is Yeah, this is the third time. But, it's a recurring segment, and I guess, if your show has one of those, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, I mean... Hey, I get to... I get to stand on my soapbox for an hour, and you get to listen. I get to take control of the show. <laughs> God help us all. But what we're talking about, of course, is the semi-annual tradition of Historical Fight Club, which we came up with literally the last time we did this. Yeah, we so, tried to make it a recurring segment. Yeah, and we even have a theme this time. Yes, play the theme. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Wasn't that thing good? It was. It was. You know, I, I wonder I wonder who done that. I tell yeah. you whoever done that, he was probably a very smart man. Uh, you you give him a little too much credit. Um, I think I think he was very he has a lot of sexual prowess. Well, he was very attractive. I'll I'll say that much. But yeah, we're uh, once again pitting historical rival against non-rival. I mean, these two are not really connected. No, well, see, that's kind of the thing. Like, really, the only one that we've done so far that were two people who existed. In their own like time frame, where uh, Hitler and Stalin. Hitler and Stalin. Yeah, Lincoln was alive. I mean, not Lincoln. I'm sorry. Roosevelt was alive, of course, obviously, at the time that Jackson was alive, and vice versa. So yeah, and this one's even. I would say even more of a stark. Yes, even more farther in this corner. You know, weighing blah blah blah. I don't know. Um, I can't do the voice, but uh, today we have Henry V, the Count Henry- of Monte Cristo. The Count of Monte Cristo, yes, and um, the general—I'm mean, not the general, but the uh, King of England—from the years 1413 to 1422, and he will be pitted up against Harry S. Truman, the Italian the, stallion, the Italian stallion, the uh, Moxie from Missouri. I can't think of anything good, but um, 33 president of the United States who was. Uh, I wouldn't say Rain. Rain's off with Regal, but his term was from 1945 to 1953. And so, you know, obviously that's the difference of over 500 years between these two people. Well, I mean, you got to take a little bit of, 
imagination to do some of these, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because there's no way Hitler and Stalin would have a sissy fight. <clears throat> no, because as we went into, you know, Hitler was always, you know, shaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that didn't make me think. Uh, we tried to, I tried to come up with themes. Like, the first one with Hitler and Stalin was Evil Dickhole versus Evil Dickhole. Yeah. And Very apt the, title. Yeah, apt. I would say so. Um, and the second fight was Andrew Jackson versus Teddy Roosevelt. Crazy, badass presidents versus each other. And this one, the theme I was trying to go for was... Uh, I'm trying to think, like, unassuming people. Like, people who were born... I wouldn't say relative uh, obscurity... But, like, nothing was really expected of either one of them. Nothing great. No. And they both, you know, achieved a lot. I mean, the fact that we're still talking about Henry, Henry V, you know, 600 years later. Yeah. Is, uh, a couple is a movies about him. Yeah, there's been a couple movies. Shakespeare wrote a lot of plays. and uh, Well, he wrote uh, a two-part play about him um, that's been pretty famous. And I was going to mention that, too. Before I stole but, thunder. Yes, but I've done some research about these. Truman wasn't really that hard to research for, like I mentioned before the show started. I've read his biography, um, one of his biographies. is uh, I've got it actually right here to my left on my desk right here. Truman by David McCullough. It's an 1,100-page uh, tome about the life and times of Harry Truman. And it won a Pulitzer, and if you read it, you know, if you have time, I suggest reading it because it's a very well written book, very uh, well deserved that McCullough won a pub, uh, Pulitzer for it. And this was a book that you took from the library and never gave back. Yeah, that's right. This was I took it um, from the li- before I moved to the place I'm living now. When I was living in my old house, I guess I went to the library like right before we moved, and you know we moved out, had the books down here with me, so I was like, ah. Fuck it, you know, I'll keep it. It's mine now. <laughs> you hear that library of... Yeah, you hear that bitch, huh? Of Cal... Right. What was it, Calhoun Falls, yeah, South Carolina? There you go, you got it. <clears throat> I've, I've read up on you. Yes, I'm kind of worried now. <laughs> I, I like to have a little bit of prep time before <laughs> I go into <laughs> well, my podcast strike. partners. But, uh, yeah, so I know a, a lot, lot about, about Truman. Truman, and I had to look up some stuff about... Henry V. Um, some of it I knew, but not all of it. Uh, some of it surprised me. And and of, and of course, since he's French, it had to be a little bit difficult for you to get past your eight. He's English, not French. Come oh. on, man. Don't insult him like that. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I said I've done research on this, and suffice to say, MB, you know nothing about either two of these guys, right? Well, I know nothing about any of these that we do. Like, that's that's what I bring to the show, just... Unabashed. Yeah, and I'm unbiased. Okay. So, which one would you want to start with first? Since he sounds more fascinating, Mm -hmm. uh, let's go with Henry V. Okay, Henry V. All right, uh, I've got... Henry V, like, I've got a general idea about, like, how tall, like, maybe how much you weighed. I'll get to that, like, at the end when we actually start speculating about a fight. But, um... Yeah, when we okay. roll the tape. Yeah. Henry V, he was born in 1386 in England, mm-hmm. of course. Um, big surprise here, his father was Henry IV. <laughs> um, I, wonder who, I wonder who his father was. 
maybe it was Henry the Third. I'm not sure. You never know. Yeah. But um, at the time of Henry's birth, uh, Richard the Second, he was king of England. And the way nobility works, Henry or his father, neither one were believed. Like they were like, I forgot, they were like tenth or fifth or fifteenth in line for the throne. <laughs> so I mean, some shit had to go down for one of them to become king. Mm-hmm. So let's see. All right, that's thirteen eighty six. All right, fast forward some years to thirteen ninety eight. Um, Henry's father was exiled to France by Richard II. They had like a dispute over like. Like Henry he, had, <laughs> he put a whoopee cushion on the front. <laughs> yeah, uh, he didn't flush the toilet after he left the bathroom. <laughs> but uh, apparently, what it was was it was a dispute over land, and of course, you know, Richard was the king, so he said, "Hey, fuck you, it's my land, <laughs> so get the fuck out." So that'd be like you as an English king. Of it's course, like... that's why. Add the you know. Before, I say, like, the English monarchy before the Magna Carta, Magna Carta was the best job in the world to have because you could just tell people to go fuck themselves. And there was nothing they could do about it. It's like he threatened to be, he threatened to quit the kingship if he didn't get his way. Like, I am Richard II no more. No more. He throws, <laughs> he throws his crown in the, in the trash can. But um, while uh, Henry IV went to France, Henry V, he was taken into Richard's care as a ward. That's something that they did a lot in nobility. What pretty much it said was that he was his hostage. Henry so, was Richard II's hostage. Like he, he kept him there as insurance because if Henry the Fourth ever tried to come back and like start some shit, Richard would just kill Henry, his son. You know. So he's. This is like a much more twisted idea of like Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like if if the Flying Graysons owed Bruce Wayne money, and they yeah. were still alive for some reason. Yeah, John Grayson, I better get my money next month, or little Dickie ain't gonna have a nose, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll I'll dress him up in bright tights and throw him to the wolves. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah. So Henry the Fourth was Richard's ward uh, for about a year, and he sent sent him to Ireland. And as soon as he did, you know, he fucked up because his father invaded England from France. And oh. he took over the throne. <laughs> he, I mean, he took over the throne. He had Richard arrested. And Richard later died in prison. Diplomatic immunity. Yes. And uh, Henry IV took, he took to the throne. And at the age of 13, Henry V was named the Prince of Wales. And what the Prince of Wales pretty much is, is uh, they're second in line to the throne. Yeah, we, we have Prince William now. Yeah. Right? Well, oh, no, 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 Prince Charles, Charles yeah. yeah. He's the Prince of Wales. They're the heir to the English throne. Is there right. a king right now? Uh, there's a queen. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what it is is that the her husband isn't a king because he's just her, like, you know, the queen is the figurehead. Like, he's just the queen's husband. That's, yeah. I mean, he does, he's not, like, king. So he's, call, he's basically, like, her bitch. Yeah, like, pretty much. They call it Prince Regent. So... Hmm. That's what they call it. All right. Eight, like I said, 13 years old, and he's Prince of Wales. All right. Now, fast forward. Can, to, you, can you imagine him, like, as a teenager? Well, that's what I'm about to get you to. Uh, in 1403, uh, he was a teenager, and he led armies and assisted his father in putting down rebellions all across England because that was something like when you king took over, like, everybody got a little, you know, 
they got a little bored. They didn't really. They wanted to test the king to see if you know this motherfucker ain't shit. Yeah. So he sends his armies after him, and like I said, as a teenager, Henry V was leading armies. He must have gotten laid so much. And like I said, in 1403, Henry V was seriously wounded. He took an arrow to the face. <laughs> an arrow, yes, to the face. Oh, wow. Um, it was like I think it was right under his right eye. Oh, that that has to. Um, if if it'd been anyone else, he would have died. Yeah, because like his family could afford you know the, the best medical treatment and stuff, and it took them several days of like they would treat it, like you know they would treat the wound and slowly pull the arrow out. Okay, treat so, it some more and pull it out some more. So did it penetrate his skull or did it just no, like uh, the skin it, or a muscle like skin, muscle like um? So was it the blood loss that threatened? Well, just the fact that yeah, if they pulled it out too quickly, yeah, I mean it was his fucking face. <laughs> Um, his face, son. And plus, they were afraid, like, you know, this was the 1400s, man. Anytime you got, like, any kind of wound, it would become gangrenous, and it would fall off. They had to amputate you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> they can't amputate your head. The faceless king of England. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, after a few days, it was finally pulled from his cheek. Um, he was left with a permanent scar right under his eye. And by the way, when all this shit was going down, he was 16. Yeah. He was 16 when he took a fucking arrow to the face. He must have gotten pity laid. Probably so. Please, I got an arrow on my face. It's, laughing. <laughs> it's, it's still in there. You know who I am, bitch? I'm the Prince of Wales. <laughs> he threw up the gang signs. <laughs> Let's see. All right. I'll do you one more before... Well, I'll go two more before... Um, we switch over to Truman. Um, for a year and a half, from 1410 to 1411, Henry V, he was in charge of England while his father was very sick. They kind of, they didn't really get along because they were kind of, the way they wanted to do things were, you know, they didn't really agree on a lot of stuff, like a lot of father and sons. But of I, course, you know, instead of arguing about grilling steaks, they were arguing about the fate of, an, of a nation. I want my own car, Dad. Gosh. What the fuck is a car? You keep saying something about a car. <laughs> you you don't know anything, old man. Next thing you're gonna tell me that the world is not flat. Jesus. Oh, you're so you're so lame. Like, <laughs> one day I'm gonna be king. And I'm gonna be like, like, just throwing parties up in here, and like, y- you're gonna see, you're gonna see, old man. They storms out. He's like, I have no son. <laughs> But then, in that case, since it was Middle Ages we're talking about, he could have his son executed. <laughs> That's true. Um, but uh, execute him for listening to rap music. Well, before <laughs> not in this house. <laughs> not in this house. You will not listen to ye old Flavor Flav in this house. <laughs> he doth bust a bad move, Father. <laughs> I don't care. The biggie of Earl. <laughs> the biggie of Earl. Yes, he feuded with. Uh, the uh, guy on the west coast of England, <laughs> Tupacath Shakurath. <laughs> but in March uh, 1413, Henry the Henry IV finally succumbed of illnesses, and he died. And so Henry V took the throne and became the king of England at the age of 28. Then he took a dump on his father's grave. <laughs> That's right, I just shit on your grave, Dad. What the fuck are you going to do? The goddamn <laughs> king of England. They put ice skates on his hands, started going to town on the gravestone. 
that's pretty much how they all fought back then. Ice skates, ice skate duels. (laughs) But um, one of one of the first things that happened when Henry was king, there was this guy John Oldcastle. He was like a friend of Henry's when they were younger. He was plotting against Henry, and apparently, you know, it's hard to tell what exactly went on because you know, he's the king, so whatever he says goes. But um. According to you know the word that he attempted to overthrow Henry the Fifth and take the throne, and so what Henry did was in order to send a message, he had his old one of his oldest friends strung up, and he burned him alive. Damn. Yep, burned him alive for plotting on the king. Not That's... not actually moving, but just plotting. Yeah. Well, you know, gotta respect the brother. Just remember that next time you want to think about replacing me. Even if you think about replacing <laughs> me, that's close enough. I mean, you know, we're not really English, so. Yeah, but so, I mean, I don't need an excuse. I mean, how do you know I haven't already plotted your demise? You son of a bitch. Time for you to burn at the stake. All right, uh, Harry S. Truman. Now, we'll All get right. to him. What's this What's this old, old crusty guy got against... I guess well, the see. young Englishman. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Harris Truman was born. He was born in Missouri in 1884. So he's southern. Almost southern. Missouri just, is one of those states. It's just on I, the cups. Yeah, it's it? on the cusp. Like it's considered the. It's been like to me. I don't think Missouri's been considered the South since the Civil War. Not the. When I think of the South, I think of like the Deep South. You so know. He, so he was only half retarded. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Burn at the stake. Burn at the stake. And, okay, he was born in Missouri. Um, in 1884. His father was his father was a farmer and a banker. Now, like I said, he come from humble roots. His family, at one time on his mother's side, were pretty prominent in the Missouri area. They were uh, traders to the west back in the days when, like, Missouri was as far west as you went. I'm talking about, like, pre-Civil War stuff. Yeah. Um, they made a lot of money. They were young, so I think was their, yeah, that was their name. But, uh, like, that went away over time. Like, Truman's father, he, he tried many, like, businesses and stuff, and they were never really that successful. And, uh, he was born, like, you know, his family didn't, like, they didn't starve or nothing, but, I mean, they weren't, like, you know, super rich or anything, or even, like, you know, upper middle class. But Yeah, uh, and like, and like you said, most of the presidents before this time were, Pretty much aristocratic. Yeah, or they like were just, all they were all super rich, or they come from wealthy families, or they had like you know, even Lincoln, who you know was born in a log cabin. You know, he was. Yeah, he he he'd been a lawyer, and he'd made his money. Yeah, as a lawyer prior to um, becoming a politician. But um, 1901, Truman graduated from high school, and uh, he worked a bunch of different jobs. He like he worked on the railroad for a while. Um, he was a bank clerk for a little while as well. And uh, he worked in the mailroom of a newspaper uh, for a little while. I wonder if in high school he was voted most likely to build the atomic bomb. <laughs> most likely to destroy Japs. <laughs> Harry S. Truman. I, I bet that would be something you would put in a high school yearbook back then. Um, but uh, it's kind of freaky because like, I mentioned him graduating high school. I, I, in the, the book I got right here, uh, they've got like, a bunch of pictures of him through his life. And the picture, like his senior picture, looks freaky because even though he's supposed to be like 17, 18 years old, he looks like he's all of 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, uh, I don't know if he was little or what it was, 
But uh, that's something else. Like they, he had a reputation for being little Harry Truman, but the guy was like five foot eight, almost five foot nine, which was pretty average, you know. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, he worked a lot of jobs around the Kansas City and Independence, Missouri area, mm-hmm. and finally, you know, eventually he was needed back on the farm, and so he returned back to his family's farm. In 1906, and he stayed there until 1907. Just and, a year? I mean, 1917, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to My bad. Um, it's like, you, you kind of built that up a little far. I have to go back. They need me. Twelve months later, fuck that shit. <laughs> but um, now, during his time, like, you know, working in the city and on the farm, he'd been part of the Missouri National Guard. Yeah. And in 1917, America, they start getting into the First World War. And so in preparation for that, you know, Truman went and served his country. You know, he wanted to be a good soldier. Um, he re- he, you know, he went back to the National Guard. And, you know, in 1917, he re-enlisted. And he was named, he became an artillery officer. Yeah. He was a, he was an officer, like, you know, I, I think he ended up at the end of the war as a captain. But um, Truman in his... Uh, there's your artillery unit. They went off to France, and uh, in France they uh, they they were very successful. They were very accurate, and they never lost a guy in combat. He's very he was a tough leader, but he was also fair. And he who, liked who, to, so Truman. Yeah, Truman, and he liked to cuss at his uh, at many of his soldiers <laughs> if they were if they were slacking, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, it's like they're fighting the French. It's yeah. not gonna be that hard. <laughs> um, but in late 1918, Truman, his artillery battery, they provided support for the Argonne Offensive. And the Argonne Offensive was this big, like, final push that Amer- the Allies made against the uh, German and Prussian Army in, you know, the uh, First World War. And what's kind of interesting is that at the time that Truman, Captain Truman was there, his artillery company, they were providing uh, support for a tank brigade that was being led by Lieutenant Colonel George S. Patton. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, and one thing that's interesting is another character who comes into Truman's life later on, George S. Marshall, who would be a general uh, by the 40s. Um, he was he was in, he, he planned the Oregon offense, so he was a big, uh, big wig in that. But, um, at, let's see. Yeah, they after the Oregon offensive, uh, the armistice was signed, and Truman... He headed back to Missouri. To be on the farm again? Be on the farm. He also wanted to start his own business. Huh. And so he he left. Like Later on, like his first business, his business he had was a tailor, a haberdashery. And uh, it kind of, it fell through. It didn't really do, because like after the First World War, there was a big recession. <laughs> he, he just made like tiny pants. That was the most he could do. Yeah, he, he it's a haberdasher for kids. It can't fail. <laughs> it's it's a haberdasher for dogs. Yeah, see that's the thing. You know, anytime there's a recession, all those uh, specialty stores they go to business first. <laughs> Novelty dog collars and and hats and all that. It's like this is the most useless thing. Well, why why do we keep going, this guy? I don't, I don't know. Uh, he certainly won't be president one day, so let's just leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, I just but, forget he ever existed. But what's kind of interesting is that you know after his business failed, he became a farmer. He sort of found his calling as a local politician. Yeah. 
um, he became like a, a judge, not like a judge like in the courtroom. It was like a like a county councilman is what you know in Missouri. That's what judges were. They were like you know county councilmen. They did the business of the county. He was very successful there. So much though, so that um, in thirty two, maybe it was yeah, it was thirty two. He took he ran for senate. No, no, no I'm sorry, thirty four. Senators have six year terms. He ran for thirty in thirty four. He ran for senate. And he won. He became a senator. A senator of Missouri? Yeah, the senator of Missouri. Okay. And then he was, wasn't really, you know, that well. Like, you know, people knew him, but he wasn't really that popular in the Senate and stuff. Until 1940, when he gets reelected again, he, you know, he a lot of his friends, like, even at the time, President Roosevelt wasn't backing him because a lot of people didn't like him. I mean... They didn't think he was very efficient and stuff, and like there was some shady stuff with his uh, political connections. They were believed that he was being backed by corrupt politicians. Still, he went out on his own, you know, with no support from anyone, and he went and he got elected, reelected to the Senate. Huh. This is during America's getting ready to enter the Second World War in the 40s, and so he starts his own committee called the Truman Committee. He ain't named after himself, you know, so that should tell you all you need to know. What the Truman Committee did was uh, they investigated government waste and spending and stuff. So pretty much, like, if there were any kind of war profiteers, Truman and his committee, they dragged them, you know, into Washington, D.C. and bitched at them until, you know, they made equipment that was good, equipment that wasn't wasteful, and didn't waste the government's money and risk people's lives. Like, what an empty threat that is. We're going we're gonna to bring you into Washington, D.C. and talk at you. And it's going to be well, so annoying well, that that you're you're going to change. Well, like war profiteering is a crime. Yeah. Like actually, I mean, like a serious crime. Yeah. Um. But one thing that's kind of interesting is that when he was in the uh, when he was in the Truman Committee, he seen all these reports for this this uh, for the government was buying massive amounts of land, like in Oregon and in New Mexico. And he didn't know what was going on. You know, he kept like he didn't. It was like some secret project. And finally, he went to George Marshall, who I mentioned earlier. At this time, he was chief of staff for the army. And he's like, "Mr. Marshall, what is this Manhattan project? I keep hearing a lot about." And he's like, "Well, Mr. President, I mean, not Mr. President, Senator, um, that's classified. I can't tell you right now." And so, you know, he didn't think nothing about it. It didn't even come into play till five years later. But in let's see, in '44. He's named Roosevelt's running mate, and um, bullet, bullet. Well, that not that Roosevelt. Oh, unfortunately, well, yeah. unfortunately, at this point, I think Theodore Roosevelt would probably have been like ninety-six years old. Like bullet, bullet. He still would have kicked ass. <laughs> and, and don't forget that you remember when we were talking about Roosevelt, his son was old enough. His son was in his what fifties or sixties at this time. Mm-hmm. The one that had the heart attack after invading Normandy with a cane. <laughs> but in um, 44, Truman becomes FDR's running mate. And he he's really picked because like the other the other options aren't very viable because his uh, current VP at the time, Henry Wallace, was an uh, airhead who was, they thought he was borderline communist, socialist. And the other candidate, was James Burns, and he was a Supreme Court justice, former senator from the great state of South Carolina. 
<laughs> and he was also an adamant segregationist. <laughs> so was this guy like one of your ancestors? No, I wish. I wish Jimmy Burns was my ancestor. Oh, that would have been amazing. But like I said, because of his very, you know, uh, radical views about segregation, he wasn't picked. And they picked Truman just because he wasn't—he was in the middle ground. He wasn't any of those two, and they knew he was a safe choice. And one thing that worried a lot of people was that, you know, at this point, this was Roosevelt's fourth term, and he was already old and in frail health. They figured that whoever they were choosing to be vice president, there was a good chance that they would end up being the president mm -hmm. if Roosevelt died. Fast forward to April 12, 1945. He's only been president, vice president for 82 days. Truman got he got called to the White House, and Eleanor Roosevelt, FDR's wife, informed he, uh, Truman that FDR was dead. He had died, you know, that day. And that very evening, Truman took the oath of office, and he became the 33rd president of the United States. Well, that's kind of a dick move, just to. You know, immediately go into office. How, how dare you, sir? How dare you do something that is... How dare you do a job that you're supposed to do? <laughs> exactly. Why don't you go back to the farm? Well, what the fuck? I mean, what do you think they're going to do? I mean, the president's dead. I mean, it's they... in the middle of the World War. You expect him to wait two weeks to swear in the new president? It'll well, you know. Like that, man. Well, you know. They could have a dummy president. After, um, after Kennedy died... Um, LBJ was sworn in on the plane leaving Dallas, and Jackie Kennedy was next to LBJ with a blood-stained coat on from her Ow. husband's blood. You know, yeah. It's not like it's something that you can just wait on. Shit's going. Shit's happening, man. They need the president. <laughs> they need a, a president. All right. Now, I feel like that's a good point to leave Truman on and talk a little bit about Henry. Start back on him. Yeah, we need to figure out what he like what his big accomplishments were as king. Yeah, so far, you know, he's been like his big thing he's done so far is burn his friend alive at the stake. Yeah. And take a dump on his father's grave. Fuck you old man. <laughs> but um in fourteen fifteen, what Henry did was he reignited the Hundred Years War with France. Okay. Now, what the Hundred Years War was was that uh pretty much what happened is that uh England told France, like, hey, we should own you, you know. We want you to be under British control. And the French like, nah, man, we're cool. <laughs> and the English like, nah, you're not. Like, yes, we are. No, you're not. And then a war started. So it's like basically what would happen if you and I went to war. It's like, um, so, yeah, you should be my slave. Yeah, go ahead and uh, start doing shit for me now. It's like, uh... No, I don't think I, I want to do that. Wait, uh, what, what the fuck was that? What the <laughs> fuck was that shit? Is that supposed to be me? <laughs> it's my worst possible southern accent. It was close. It, it was very stereotypical, so I approve. <laughs> There's anything you approve of with stereotypes. Yes, any, any stereotype is a good stereotype, even if it's making fun of me. Yeah, and so I want you to be my slave. You don't want to be my slave. Um... Honestly, it would be the other way around. You would want me to be your slave. Of course. Hello. You already are my slave. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then I say, no, I'm not. And then you say, uh, yes, you are. And say, so now, no, no, I'm not. Whoosh, whoosh. But, but of course, um, instead of having a war, you would just come in and beat me with a belt. Yeah, that'd be, that, that would be the five-second war. 
<laughs> kicked down my door after 16 attempts. I'm coming for you, asshole. The 16 um, kick war. <laughs> exactly. Um, 15 on the door, one on your face. <laughs> but, uh, but like the Hundred Years War with France, obviously, it didn't go a hundred years. It went more. I think it went like like a hundred and like fifteen years. I think hundred sixteen years. But um, pretty much like I said, England said, "Hey, France, we should own you." France was like, "No," nah, uh-uh. so they went to war. <laughs> what dicks? I know. I mean, well, I mean, what do you expect? I mean, like I was saying, the king can do shit. I mean, if he want, he can start war with anybody if he wanted to at this time. You know. Well, I, mean, like, I, hey, guess, I guess when you think about it, that is basically what the Revolutionary War was all about. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like England just wanted the United States, and they're like, "Hey, U.S., pay 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 uh, taxes for us." Like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. Like, yeah, do it. Make us. Fuck you. All right, you know what? <laughs> we're not we're not even playing anymore. We're not part of your stupid little bullshit. We're our own country. Like, uh uh-uh. uh, troops go fight. That's pretty much it. That's how it started. That I was verbatim. You, I wish you could do your own versions of every war that's ever been started. That is verbatim how it started, what I just said. Yeah. But at this point in nineteen in fourteen fifteen, um the Hundred Years War had been quiet for a good while. Uh England they kinda backed off France. But Henry, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, I want France. <laughs> he I looked across the channel every morning, he's like, Someday you will be mine. <laughs> Like a virgin, yes. like a virgin whore. So yeah, he takes his forces, he invades France, and he reignites the Hundred Years' War. And um, so basically, he's like Thor in the movie. Like, yeah, which is which is very apt because in the Henry V movie in the eighties, Kenneth Branagh played Henry. Yeah, he also directed that movie, I think. Oh, he did. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's right. I remember that now. He directed it. Um, yeah, he's he's very much like the Shakespearean guy, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's. Now that I think about it, that is a lot like Henry V. Um, but there's this famous battle, what Henry's famous for, and they show it in the movie and then the play, was the Battle of Agincourt. Um, the English were fighting the French. They were heavily outnumbered. Heavily, like, you know, it's hard to get details, but it was speculated that uh, there were six to 9,000 English soldiers in the fight. And the French soldiers numbered anywhere between twelve to thirty-six thousand. Mm-hmm. So they were outnumbered from like thirty to one to four to three. It just depends, you know, based on what the numbers are. But and plus, it's like they're France. Yeah. Um, but now, well, see, this is badass French. The, the French were badass up until after Napoleon, I think. <laughs> After you left, everything went all to hell. Yeah, they were all world conquerors and shit. I mean, they kicked ass. I mean, and they, I mean, they still, I mean, even during World War II, they fought the Nazis and they still kicked ass as the French, uh, uh, what's your resistance? I mean, it was the fucking Nazis, man. What the fuck could you do? Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway. Even, even Canada would have fought Nazis. Yeah, that sidebar side, uh, the, like I said, the English were heavily outnumbered. But even though they weren't outnumbered, Henry and the English it's speculated they killed between seven to ten thousand men. While the English number while the English number of casualties is unknown, it's nowhere as steep as the French. They think like some spe- like the most conservative speculation is that like to France is seven to ten thousand men. Henry only lost hundred and fifty men. Wow. That's um really and one good. 
one of the reasons why is because Henry introduced the longbow. Oh, and, really? Yeah, that was like the really the first real battle that the longbow was used. And so it's think of it like uh, us fighting with like AK-47s and M16s against like uh, Civil War stuff. Yeah. That's about how it was. Okay, you so... Know, they had the range and the accuracy, and they just... I mean, pretty much the... Uh, the sort of, English... It was sort of like the trick up their sleeve that kind of won them over. Yeah, and there's actually an interesting uh, thing that comes from the, uh, his, the that history, uh, that battle, is that uh, because of their use of the longbow... What the French supposedly did, this is just speculation. I'm not sure how much of this is true. Um, anytime the French would capture an Englishman, they would remove their middle finger. Because <laughs> because that's what you use to do a longbow with, your thumb and middle finger. And if you removed your middle finger, you couldn't be an archer. And so, so yeah. they, they took that from me. And anyway, in one of the battles later on, um, the longbows and the... Uh, the Englishmen, they had the French surrounded. And as a way of gloating, what the Englishmen did were they held up their middle fingers to the French, saying, ha-ha, you know, we can still pluck the bow, you know. We can still pluck you, you know. We can still pluck you all day if we want to. And that evolved into, you know, I can pluck you to the middle finger being, hey, fuck you. <laughs> That's supposedly where the, the middle finger started. Huh. And how true that is, I'm not really sure. That's one of the things that it's just one of the many stories of time. So it's... Henry invented the middle finger. We'll just <laughs> chalk that long bows and middle fingers. We'll chalk that up to him. Okay. Um, and on that note, let's see. I'll go over to Truman. Yes, Mr. Truman, who so far was basically. Uh, in the Senate, he won it by himself the second time. He was plucky. He was plucky. I'll say yeah. that. Um, and, uh, he invented. He also invented the Truman Committee. Yes. And he. I mean that does basically all of his accomplishments so until far. right up until his sworn yeah, into office. Yeah. Um. Now in July of '45, at this point, the Nazis had surrendered. And. Um, the Allies, you know, they had already taken over Europe. Truman at this time, he was in uh, Germany. He was with uh, Churchill and Stalin. And the three of them and their staffs were talking about the future of Europe, like what to do with Germany and the rest of Europe, you know, how to proceed. They pretty much, the uh, that meeting they had in, out on the outskirts of Berlin set up the next, the, it set up the whole end of the 20th century as far as the Cold War is concerned. Mm -hmm. It sort of set the stage for what was to come. And anyway, July 45, the war in Europe's over, but we're still fighting Japan in the Pacific. And it's costing money, it's costing lives. Japan Japan is no, isn't likely to surrender. And just like a few, like shortly after being sworn in office, he, Truman had been briefed on what the Manhattan Project actually was. Mm -hmm. And what it was was the first use of uh, uh, the the creation of the atomic bomb. And so, you know, that whole spring and summer, Truman's presidency, 
the committees and war people, they had been debating on using the bomb. And it had finally been decided that they would use the bomb on Japan as a way to, you know, force them to, you know, surrender. And so in July of 45, Truman, he sent his uh, final ultimatum to the Japanese. And he said, surrender to the Allies or they would be, or the United States would proceed with, quote, the inevitable the inevitable and complete destruction of the Japanese armed forces and the destruction of the Japanese homeland, end quote. After the Japanese refused to surrender, Truman authorized the use of the atomic bomb. Hmm. And so... So and the atomic all- bomb, like, really wasn't his... Like, even though people are always equating the atomic bomb to him like it really wasn't his brainchild or anything no, well, like it was like it, he was in the dark about it for the first for a, for a long time yeah like the use of atomic weapons was brought to roosevelt like early on in the war yeah and you know it's really started with like some of einstein's physics theories mm-hmm. and uh splitting the atom and all this and um the manhattan project was started in the early stages of the war j robert oppenheimer is the big man who is considered a lot to do, you know, he really, he was the head of the Manhattan Project, and, like, years later, he, I mean, the guilt he felt, you know, because, and he said that, you know, like, you know the debate's been very divided. Wait, um, wait, wait, this is the guy that, this is Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer, yeah. Um, he felt bad, you know, because he created, you know, a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I'll get to that right quick. Uh, anyway, you know, Truman told the Japanese surrender they refused. So on August 6, 1945, um, a B, uh, I can't remember it's a uh, I can't remember the exact name, but a bomber, it was called the Enola Gay. It dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. Mm-hmm. Truman and the US government issued an order for the Japanese to surrender. They still refused. Even so after I, the bomb was dropped. Yep, and so on August 9th, and a second atomic drop—I'm sorry—a second atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. You got to hand and, to the Japanese. At least they were, you know, at least they were ballsy about it. And so Truman once again, you know, requested Japanese unconditional surrender. And so after the second bomb on August 14th, the Japanese formally surrendered. And it is believed that. Between one hundred, between ninety and one hundred sixty thousand Japanese people were killed at Hiroshima, while between sixty to eighty thousand were killed at Nagasaki. So you total that all up, you know, that's in the upper, close to three hundred thousand at most. And you know, uh, less, I mean, uh, like a hundred thousand, you know, at least, you know. But um. It's been something that's very been it's been controversial and it's been talked about for years. Mm-hmm. The you know right to use it and if it was exactly appropriate because like one of the things one of the justifications for using it was uh, that like if if the the navy the marines and the army they assaulted Japan a full scale invasion. Japan see this thing Japan did they didn't surrender. It's very rarely that they surrendered. They would they would fight to the last man. Yeah. That's how they were trained. That's how they were taught. And so it was speculated, like just calculation, that a, a full scale invasion into the mainland Japan would kill around a hundred thousand U.S. soldiers, 
around 100,000 uh, Japanese. Japanese soldiers and around 150 to 200,000 Japanese civilians. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of different factors. I mean, it's a very complicated issue. I don't really want to get into all of it just because, you know, short for time. But Yeah, I mean, know, I will say this. If they were not willing to surrender after the first bomb was dropped, it's kind of hard to, you know... It's kind of hard to reason with that kind of... Yeah. Just... I don't know. Like, But, um... Alright, uh... So, the war's over. World War Two officially ends with the Japanese surrender. Okay. So, let's get... Alright, next year, in 1946... Um... You know, everybody was back home. It was very... You know, the homeland at the time... You know, the, the troubles going on was economic problems because you had all these soldiers coming back and they couldn't find jobs. The unemployment rate was very high. It was like 4%. I mean, it's not, it's nothing compared to what it is now, but it was very high for the time and uh, they couldn't do anything. And eventually the economy got a lot better, but in 46, uh, there was a strike by railroad workers. And this was before airplanes were the main mode of doing a lot of things. So a railroad strike, it stopped all trains across the country. Like, People were stranded in towns, like supplies, like stuff on like docks and stuff, like food and stuff just rotted because these guys were on strike. Yeah. Truman, he attempted to negotiate with the unions and the railroad people, you know, on their terms, right? But the unions refused. Truman got really upset because he saw, he he was a Democrat. He believed that unions, you know, had a right, but he felt like these guys were just being greedy. Yeah. And so, PS, well, I mean, they did disable like half the country. Yeah, pissed at the selfishness and stuff. So what he did was that he appeared before Congress, and the national he gave a national address, and he told the striking rail uh, railroad workers that if they didn't go back to work, he would all forcibly draft them into the army. <laughs> so he said, "Get back to work, or you're going to go to the army." Oh. And so oh. halfway through his speech. He received word that the unions agreed to end their strike. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, later in 1942, uh, 1952, I'm sorry, he dealt with the steelworkers' strike. So, you know, he felt that, you know, after negotiating, he got pissed again. So what he did was he, Truman ordered the government to seize the steel mills. And he was going to have the uh, Department of... Uh, Hey, what is it? I forgot what department it is, but he was going to have one of the government departments run the steel mills. And, but that order was later overturned. But still, you know, for a Democrat, it was very weird for him to be so anti-union. Because he pissed off like a lot of people. Well, yeah, but, you know, they, they kind of forced his hand. Yeah. From the sounds of it. Like, uh, it would be like if you refused to do dork nights and you were doing it with Harry S. Truman. Harry S. Truman would say, okay, well, if you don't do dork nights, then I'm going to forcibly have you surgically turned into a black man. No! And then you would... Yeah, you would be on it, like, in half the speech. I would be running so fast, all you'd see was ass and elbows. (laughs) Yeah. So. But, um, so yeah. Now I know how to get you in line if you ever fall out of line. I just gotta pull a Truman. <laughs> um. So that was forty six. 
In 47, um, Truman, the United States was dealing with, uh, say, the two nations of uh, Greece and Turkey. Um, they had been very wiped out by like the Second World War, and they were on the ber- the verge of economic collapse. They needed help. They needed assistance. They needed somebody to help them. And because one of the reasons why they needed help, like the U.S. government was willing to help them, but one of the reasons why was that they were afraid that both countries, they had a very strong um, Communist Party. And with already Eastern Europe and you know, the Soviet Union, in like with the Soviet Union, they were afraid... The Greece and Turkey would turn communist, and that would you know widen the Soviet Union's thing, their uh, sphere of influence. So what Truman did was he created the Truman Doctrine, mm-hmm. and what the Truman Doctrine is, it's a it's a statement that says the U.S. they would support and defend democracy from communism anywhere across the globe, anywhere that communism threatened to take over democracy, the United States would be there to defend it, and a lot of people believe that the Truman Doctrine is the official start of the Cold War. That's where the tensions with the Soviets really started, when the United States came out and railed against the uh, the evils of communism and socialism and how, you know, they would defend it no matter the cost. So, okay. So he... People blame him for starting the Cold War? Well, they don't blame him. I mean, it was inevitable. The Cold yeah. War had been coming for years because... A lot of people, there were a lot of people who believed like World War II was just uh, a prologue to the Cold War. You know, it was just something, you know, the United States and the Soviet Union both showed that, you know, after years of being, you know, both of them were relatively backwaters. The United States had never been real big into global scale, and the Soviet Union hadn't been big since like the days of the Tsars. But both of them come out on the global stage and showed their might. And the old powers were done away with, and the new powers, the Soviet Union, the United States, were you know they rose up, and you know like I said, a lot of people think that that was the actual real conflict to come, and it lasted you know forty plus years, so there was something to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it lasted well until like what was it, the eighties? Um, the Soviet Union officially uh, it fell in nineteen ninety one. Okay. So, so let's say forty-five to nineteen ninety-one. So wow! That's so forty-six years. So technically, I was born into the Cold War, mm-hmm. and both of us were were Cold War babies. At the very end, yes, I was like a year old when the Berlin Wall fell. <laughs> but um, little little you yeah yeah, well sh- show them commies. Damn right! Fuck you, commies! <laughs> Yelling at the TV. I just shit my pants, Gorbachev. <laughs> what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> Wearing a diaper. Um, but, uh, all right. So, in between the Truman Doctrine and... Uh, I think that's right. Let me look. Yeah, the Truman Doctrine and uh, 1950. Truman runs as underdog. He gets elected again as president. He get like, you know, the last term he'd been was pretty much... It was, you know, it was FDR's term. Those three plus years, you know, he was finishing out FDR's final term, and he get ele- he got elected as president in his own right in 1950. So, 1950 comes around, and that's when the Truman Doctrine they they have to put up or shut up because 1950 Communist China they backed North Korea, and North Korea invaded South Korea and started the Korean War. Obviously, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so in the fall of that year... Um, I mean, we can't really talk because we had the Civil War. Yeah. General Douglas MacArthur, he led UN forces against the North Koreans. And um, he pushed them past the 38th parallel. That's the dividing line. You know, the border between North and South Korea. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we saw that as, you know, hey, we got them on the ropes. Let's go ahead and push them all the way back and unify Korea, uh, unify democratic Korea. So they start, as soon as the UN forces go into the 38th parallel, um, the Chinese respond. They bring in 300,000 soldiers into the conflict. And so they push the UN forces back across the 38th parallel, and they pretty much turn the rest of the war into a, just a big stalemate. Well, I mean, the Chinese, they have men to spare. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's one thing you got in China is men. <laughs> but um all right so in 1951 is when the trouble starts um macarthur he starts defying orders and he starts operating in korea without regard to the chain of command which includes answering to the joint chief of staff and president truman and macarthur was uh he was old he was uh, one of the old guard uh you see like when most people talk about world war ii they think like you think of dwight d eisenhower you know as the main general right yeah you would, right? Well, actually, Dwight, was he was head of the European Theater of War. And MacArthur, he was head of the Pacific Theater of War. Mm. And both men reported to George Marshall. He was he was the chief of staff of the United States Army. He was the man who run the war, pretty much, for the Department of Defense. And he defied uh, even chief of staff? Yeah, well, this time, uh, MacArthur... Uh, not MacArthur, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting all these names. Yeah, MacArthur... He defied uh, the chief of staff, the joint chief of staff, uh, George Marshall. This time, he was Secretary of State. He had been promoted. Um, he, he and so what, one of the big things that MacArthur did was he sent out a letter to North Korea and, and the Chinese, and he offered a ceasefire. He was not, uh, you know, this was not approved by the joint chief of staff or the president. And um, he even wrote a letter that criticized the president. He thought the president. You know, he was just playing it safe, and, you know, he was being a pussy and stuff. And it made it public. And then there was a growing threat that MacArthur would start asking for nuclear weapons. He wanted, uh, he wanted this is speculation, you know, he's ref, MacArthur later refuted this, everybody refuted this, but, you know, both sides. But they said MacArthur wanted to bomb North Korea and China, hit them with uh, atomic bombs. And march up all the way into China. You know, that's what they said you wanted to do. But but he sent them a, a ceasefire. Yeah, he did, but, I mean... Was was that just like a sort of a front? Or? Maybe. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like That's what they were worried about. Like, MacArthur was taking things in his own hands. How easy would it have been for him to say, you know, fuck that, let's bomb him. And he launches an atomic bomb on his own accord. Mm-hmm. But, uh... So later on, you know, Truman gets worried because, you know, this guy's, you know, he's bucking authority and you're playing a serious game. So he calls MacArthur back to Washington and he fires him. Well, he doesn't fire him. He relieves him from duty. He's no longer command of the situation in Korea. And um, the reason why Truman gives is because, you know, he wouldn't respect the authority of the president or the um, joint chief of staff. And he's quoted like in the 60s later, and later on this is a quote he said. He said, I fired him, 
I fired him because he wouldn't respect the authority of the president. I didn't fire him because he was a dumb son of a bitch, although he most certainly was. But that's not against the law for generals. If it was, half of the generals in the United States would be in jail right now. <laughs> and so I think you know, he fires MacArthur and, you know, 1952 he leaves office. He leaves office with one of the worst approval ratings of all time at 22%. Up until George W. Bush left, left office in 2008, that was the lowest approval rating any outgoing president had ever had. Yeah. And so, um, all right, I'll leave it right there. I got like one little pat. I'll, let me go back to Henry. As I was saying, there's a lot of stuff with, uh, with Truman, all right? Okay. Now, last we left Henry, he was fighting his wars against France. Yeah, and he got an arrow to the face. <laughs> arrow to the face. That was like, yeah. 10, 15 years ago. So in 1417, Henry, um, he left France after, you know, he fought, he left France and he prepared for a larger offensive. He lost his offensive and he, he just mowed through the French countryside. And in 1419, in um, he had the city of Rayoun under siege. And siege is pretty much, you know, you surround the town. You know, back then, medieval, a lot of medieval towns had big walls for invaders and stuff. They could hide, you know. And so, what Henry did was he surrounded his troops around the town. He star he was going to starve out the people in the town to make them come out, you know, mm-hmm. and fight and take over the town. And so, <clears throat> the French never left. But as time went on, they got desperate. And so, what the city officials of the town did, they sent out the town starving women and children. They sent them out the gates, hoping the English will let them pass. You know, let them pass. You know, they're just you know women and children. Let them pass. Let them get something to eat. You know, they need to eat or they'll die. And so Henry refused to let them pass. He wouldn't let them pass until the French surrendered the town. And so they never, the town never surrendered. Henry never budged, and the women and children they ended up dying of starvation just outside the city gates. Well, you know. Now, that's kind of a tick move, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a dick move on both regards. Yeah. I mean, that's true. They, I guess the French were using women and children as kind of their their patsies or whatever. Maybe. I mean, but, yeah, I think maybe Henry went a little bit too far, and the French, you know, could have surrendered. I mean, the, the town could have surrendered. But, okay, uh, he tears this swath of, you know, mayhem and destruction and victory across France. And so, in August 1914, um, his forces are around Paris. He's got Paris under siege. And so, you know, in order for... Henry says, I'll leave you alone, but you have to sign this treaty. And what the treaty was, was pretty much was the end of the war. It was like, hey, you know, you sign this treaty for me, and uh, we'll be done. And what the treaty did was it it would make Henry... And all his sons and you know, descendants afterwards, they would be the rulers of France. They would be, in addition to being the king of England, they would be king of France at the same <laughs> time. So there was a lot of fine print. Yeah, a lot of fine print. Um, they would they would take over after the death of the who was the king of France at the time, Charles the Sixth. Um, and so, in you know, in exchange for signing the deal, Henry married Charles's daughter Catherine. And they had a son. And I, you'll never guess what the son's name was. Henry the Sixth. Henry the Sixth. 
That's right. How'd you know? Oh, lucky guess. Lucky guess, yes. So, in two years later, in 1422, you know, the treaty signed Henry's snapping out resistance across France. And he dies. He dies of dysentery. And do you know what dysentery is? Uh, isn't it where you cut out... Like, isn't it where they... No, 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 that's disemboweling. Like, um, I was I was thinking where you cut out and let the guts fall. Yeah, that's disemboweling. But no, dysentery is where you die of extreme diarrhea. <laughs> he caught the shits and he died. <laughs> at the ripe old age of 35. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's... That was pretty common, though, because, like, especially, like, large armies and stuff, because you drink, like, a lot of the, you were always on the move, and a lot of times the water you drunk wasn't necessarily, you know, the cleanest water. Yeah. And the shits were uh, pretty much, uh... So, essentially, he got, like, sort of an early version of what now we would consider, like, E. coli or something. Yeah. I mean, there probably could have been one the same. I don't think necessarily dysentery is contagious. Mm. But, uh, anyway... Uh, so, Henry, like, later on, his son tries to become king of France and England, but they dispute it, and the Hundred Years' War keeps going. You know, he thought he had ended it, but, it, you know, of course, that always happens. You know, he dies, so everybody's like, fuck that treaty. We're going to do our shit. <laughs> so, you know, years later, the the war finally ends, and, uh, you know, Joan of Arc ends up getting involved, burning at the stake. You know, good times are had by all. <laughs> and they all live happily ever after. Yes, and then they all shit their pants and die. <laughs> all right, um, and finally Truman. Yeah, I told you he left office in 1952. <laughs> I just got dysentery. What, what are you, you gonna do? do? Die. <laughs> That'd be a statement. Um, all right. Uh, gotta hurry up. I, almost. Yeah, I think we should. Time. I think we should hurry up and just. Okay, get I think to the... we'll say this, Henry. Uh. Truman, later on, he died in Kansas City at the age of 88, 1972. Even though he was looked bad upon when he left office, uh, his legacy was rehabilitated over the years, and he has always been consistently one of the top ten presidents. You know, whenever people do the list of top ten presidents, he's always right up there. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of good stuff. You know, he won the war. Uh, yeah, he won he, World War Two. so... Yeah, he, he finished the war. Um, he began sowing the seeds for what would later become Medicare, and uh, he even started the civil rights movement by integrating the armed forces. And he was and he was the first national leader to recognize Israel as a state. Okay, so essentially, what we're painting the picture of with Truman is that he was he was much more of a thinker and a doer, but he wasn't really. Like, he wasn't really a fighter. He was just kind of a commander. Uh, yeah, exactly. But he was, uh, like, he. one of his big things that he took responsibility because one of his statement sayings were, the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. And, like, anything in his office related to the presidency, he took responsibility for. Yeah. Which is something very admirable, especially with, like, modern-day politicians, the way they do. Yeah. But, um, all right, so they're going to fight. Henry and Harry Truman. Yeah. The king of England... Versus the president of the United States. Um, quick details: Henry was about six four, and he weighed between one hundred eighty and two hundred pounds. Truman was five nine, and he weighed about one hundred sixty four pounds. Okay. So Henry was taller, but 
Truman was a little skinnier. And Truman was in very well shape, very good shape. He walked constantly around D.C. when he was president. Well, you also have to consider um, that Henry introduced the longbow. Yeah, and but Truman introduced the atomic bomb. That is true. So, fuck your horses, son. <laughs> but the thing is, is that if they were going into a one-on-one fight, yeah, I don't think I don't think Truman would just say, "Psych." Then run like from the battlefield, set an atomic bomb off, and escape <laughs> in time. Yeah, um, I think their blast radius is a couple dozen miles. Yeah. Um, so there would definitely be a disadvantage if he went for the bomb. Whereas with Henry, all he had to do was pull out a crossbow, shoot an arrow, and. Yes, but you don't know. I mean, maybe Truman, like. Maybe, like. Henry's Achilles heel was his cheek where he'd been shot by the bow and arrow. That's true. And plus, you know, the only reason he survived was because of his money. That's true. I mean, yeah, that's another thing, you know, even though, you know, I said that both men come from very assuming backgrounds, Henry was still English nobility. Yeah. He was it, 15th in line of the throne, but he was still in line for the throne. Yeah, he was, you know, I mean, he was a king. Yeah. Truman so, was a fucking president. Yeah. We have a, and, a dime a dozen of those. And yeah, there's been, what, like 44 of them? Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, but you also can think Truman was a farm boy, so maybe he didn't know conventional fighting, but he probably could whoop some ass if need be. Well, you said he was in good shape. He was in good shape, and like I said, he grew up on a farm. Maybe he had to do a, some tussles. You don't know. Yeah. So... Should we just say who our picks for the fight is? Who do you think? And explain why. Okay, well, here's... I'm not going to really explain why, but here's how I see the fight going down. Okay. Give me your blow-by-blow play. Play-by-play. Okay. Let's say America and England had gone, like, back to war during the 40s. And for some reason, Henry was still alive. Yeah, he's 500 500 years years old. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll say zombie logic. Yeah. Um, and of course, Churchill was his, you know, he was keeping him alive. Yeah. So let's, let's just say that they met on like an unassuming battlefield. They don't have any like command at their disposal. Really? No, like, like, let's just say like, all right, they're fighting and finally like, uh, one of them sends a message to the other. Say, Hey, dickhead. Let's finish this once and for all, you and me. <laughs> so, like, late in the night, Truman goes. He's dressed in camouflage. Um, and Henry's, you know, dressed in, like, like a sweatsuit or something. Like a jogging yeah. suit. <laughs> Old man that he is. Yeah. So, here's what happens. The first strike is taken by Henry V with a crossbow. Mm-hmm. But Truman, because he's skinnier and he's in good shape, manages to dodge it, and the arrow only grazes him. Mm-hmm. Truman, as a counterstrike, issues a threat saying that if Henry continues this fight, he will make the English, he will give England over to French. <laughs> and. Scared out of his mind that he'd have to become a Frenchman. 
instead of controlling the French. Henry would surrender, but then he would knock out Truman, like like with a blow to the head, and burn him. So, technically, Henry would win, but he would have surrendered to do it. Huh. He's a very sneaky bastard. Yeah. I mean, you said he's... <laughs> so, I mean... And then, while Truman's passed out on the ground unconscious, <laughs> Henry... <laughs> Henry flips him off and shits on his face. <laughs> and then dies. <laughs> while, Tru- uh, while all of a sudden Churchill comes out of the woods and looks around, smokes a cigar, and says, My God. <laughs> what have we become? And then, out of nowhere, the atomic bomb is dropped on the area, and all three of them are vaporized. So, essentially, it's a draw. It's a, it's a draw. Yeah, there we go. It's like they wouldn't stop killing each other. So they ended up just dying. <laughs> like, they were so evenly matched that they just ended up just... I mean, he got dysentery. Truman was vaporized by his own bomb. It's like, it's very all poetic. Very, very, yeah, poetic justice, maybe. Yeah. And then General MacArthur, uh, you know, he takes a dump on Truman's... He's like, fuck you! <laughs> Relieve me a command. You, I'm going to leave something all over your face. <laughs> all right, so what do you think? Me? Um, yeah. All right, I so say... you're the expert, and you're the guy with all the facts. Okay, I think it goes down like this. All right, they're meeting on a one-on-one battlefield. Like, all around him, like, on Truman's side, he's got, like, the army. He's got Patton in his tanks. He's got uh, Eisenhower in the infantry. And um, Henry... He, He's got his horses, his longbow, things like that. Yeah. And so they're fighting. Henry, like, they're both younger. Henry's got the edge. He's, he's a, uh, you know, he's training. But Rose, I mean, not Roosevelt. Damn, why do I keep calling that? Um, Truman has, uh, he has military training too. Don't forget that. He was a military man. He was, you know, he was artillery, but he still knows how the basics, how to fight. So let's say they're fighting. And so. Henry starts to get the upper hand, so what Truman does is maybe a little dirty. He he orders artillery strike mm-hmm. on all of Henry's forces. They start scattering the shit, right? Yeah. And so there's confusion on the battlefield. There's you know tanks shooting horses' heads off. Uh, Patton's running around shooting anything that moves. MacArthur's sticking this corncob pipe up people's asses. <laughs> Um, well, he does that before each battle, but that's not really important right now. Um, and so in the fusion, Truman turns around, and Henry has gotten rid of his sword. He's got ice skates on his hands. <laughs> he starts swinging wildly at Truman. Truman has one; he has a walking stick, and they do battle through the battlefield while all this chaos is going around. And then, um, out of nowhere, you see this shadow come up. All these longbows, I mean, the bows, uh, the arrows from the longbows, one of them strikes Truman in the back. It thrusts him forward. The arrow goes through his body and hits Henry in the chest. Both men are attached to the same arrow. <laughs> Shot through their chest, and they both fall to the ground, and they both die. Wow, so no matter how you cut it, it's basically a draw. And then someone drops an atomic bomb on the whole scene. <laughs> The Japanese do it. They're like, like, fuck y'all. Victory is theirs. 
Finally. <laughs> and then Godzilla attacks the Japanese. Yeah, and Godzilla. Wait a minute, who's that? It's actually Godzilla is reincarnated version of Harry Truman. <laughs> and then, in an ironic twist, Godzilla Truman gets dysentery. <laughs> he gets dysentery and dies. All the while, Henry V Rodan watches from the corner and laughs. <laughs> but then, it's ironic because he gets poisoned by the atomic piles of... Just, Sludge. Yeah. yeah. And he ends up succumbing to poisoning. Radiation poisoning, so he dies. Oh, this is irony. Why is it so ironic? (laughs) Your Jimmy Stewart creeps out. What the hell is going on, Clarence? I don't know. (laughs) I just wanted to kill some Japanese. (laughs) Come on, let's go back and do some coke with the Duke. (laughs) All right, well, I think we've we've gone on long enough about these. Yes, we have. And yet another another amazing battle. Another battle fought, another battle kind of won. This has been a historical fight club. And we'll... The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that was... That was whatever that was. Yes. First rule of historical fight club, you tell everybody about historical fight club. Yeah, you tell because everybody the facts. Yes, yeah. it's history, man. It should be appreciated. It should be read. It should be studied. Yeah. It should be jerked off to. <laughs> Speaking of that, let me go back to my Truman book. <laughs> and with that, that has been this week's installment of the Dork Knights. Tune in next week. Same MB time, same bird channel. With their mission accomplished, these glamorous figures vanish as suddenly as they appear. <laughs>